0: Alright, so as you're coming in, any like questions or thoughts floating to the surface before I move on that you're just like stuck on? I mean, sometimes what we have is like we have these, these roadblocks that keep us from moving forward. Any of those or can we keep, you know, I'll move right into the next thing, but I want to give opportunity for clarification, for, uh, you know, pause for reflection if necessary. As you're coming in, I'm just asking any questions, stick points, points that might be a blockade for you moving forward to the next thing that you need a clarification on. What that means is if you're in the dark, ask a question. <laughs> or if you're uh, feeling opposed to what I said, push in a little bit. Okay. If it's like, no, it seems... Spirit's leading me, I'm getting, it makes sense, I, can find, I sense where we're going, it seems clear, I, I, I'm not here to do, to do like, just a presentation, uh, I really want to serve you and equip you, so any questions before I move on that would serve you if I answered them? Yes? Oh, wow, you're asking for a whole new topic. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get this, you know, yeah. with, like, with Spence or something, or with my wife, but yeah. it just seems, it seems to complicate things. Like, I know, you know, it, it probably doesn't listen to doesn't love me, but there's a Yeah. I wonder if I can wait till this afternoon when I start to unpack how to develop a gospel culture, gospel-fluent culture. But I'll say this minimally in terms of with our kids obviously discipline, what's the root word for, what does it come from? Disciple. Okay, so discipleship is, a, is really the process of discipline so that we might come to believe all the truths of who God is, what he's done for us, and who we are, and then live a new life in light of that. That's a, that's a, as you think about discipleship, it is discipline. So by the way, if you're like creating a church where everybody feels good all the time, you won't disciple them. Because no discipline seems pleasant at the time. So if you want to disciple people and you want to feel good, those are are, going to be opposed to one another. Because at the heart of discipleship is one being disciplined to put to death the flesh and be made alive in the Spirit. And death doesn't sound like comfort. I mean, it's death, it's comfortable once you're dead. It's not comfortable while you're being put to death. Right? And so the beauty is all discipline reaps a harvest. In fact, think of discipline this way. All discipline is leading people to the cross so they can experience the resurrection. It's leading them to die so they can experience life. Leading them to die to self so they can experience the life of Christ. And so with my children, I'm leading them to die to self. I'm leading them to die to self-dependence. I'm leading them to just die to self-focus. I'm leading them to die to finding their identity in something other than Christ. Um, So... You know, I have three different children. They all have very different challenges in their uh, walking in Jesus' life. My oldest, uh, pretty, pr- pretty typical firstborn, wants to, you know, be compliant, you know, make sure she's doing everything right, gets a lot of sense of self-significance out of doing right. So she struggles with self-righteousness. She's a better person if she does that more good. And if she does worse, she's a bad person. And so her entire sense of identity can be caught up in how well she's doing. So when we're helping her tell her story, her story of Jesus changing her life, and you know, not the, hey, when I was this age, I came to faith in Jesus and got baptized. Well, that's part of her story. But the ongoing story of what she's struggling with. And for her, one of the defining statements that she said that I think is so helpful for me as a dad to hear, she said, and I, I, we told her, we said, be honest about when you feel most unloved. And she said, this is her statement, I feel like my parents don't love me if I don't get all A's. Now she gave that to us. You know, We've tried to create a culture where she can tell us the truth about that. And so we said, um, and I, I, I wasn't surprised by that at all. Now that's not because we've told her that, but that's because in her heart, she still thinks it's her behavior that makes her loving or loved. So she's attaching grades to being loved. Good grades equals lots of love by dad and mom. Bad grades equals mom and dad don't love me. So that's where I've now got to help teach her the love of God in Christ that loves us when we do bad. So that the regular work of parenting my daughter is to help her uh, celebrate the love of God when she has bad grades. It's to repent of her self-righteousness. She's looking to dad and mom and her performance and her grades is what makes her right. And acceptable and loving. And so repentance to her is to turn to a God who makes us right and loving and accepted because of Jesus' good grade, not my daughter's good grade. So I have to remind her, the, the grades are already in. And they're all A's. So no matter what you do, you got all A's before God the Father. And he's the one that really matters, not me. So keep telling her, and I tell my kids regularly, just so you know, I'm not your, I'm not your real dad. and they know what I mean because I've done it enough times like your true dad is your heavenly father. He's just given, he's given you to us to steward you for a season to, to get you to know your dad, to help you to love your dad, to know your dad loves you dearly. So I regularly tell them I'm not the best dad. He's the better dad and my job is to keep telling you when I'm not a very good dad that it's because I'm still, I'm still a child who needs a good dad and uh, so constantly leading them to the better dad uh, and for their grades. So that's Haley. Caleb, We'll move. To, he's a middle child. He lives for a lot of people approval. He's he's a very tender young boy. He's an athlete, but he's also a tender athlete. So he's a, I call him a tender warrior, and uh, and he's super soft-hearted. But the, what that translates to, oftentimes when it's done uh, not in faith, is people pleasing and needing approval. And so he'll tend when he sins or fails, he'll tend to move towards shame. And so what I've got to do is call him out of shame. To remind him that his shame has been covered, that he's clothed with the righteousness of Christ, he no longer needs to hide or cover up or try to make himself look better and he can just boast in the fact that he's he's you know, a mess and he'll never, you know, he doesn't have to hide anymore. So he will actually, literally he doesn't do it as much anymore but he used to like do the turtle when he would get in trouble. Yeah, you know, it's like when they put their head in their shirt, you know and their legs inside of it and he'd just be this big ball of a t-shirt, you know. And I would, I would call him out. I would say, no, you don't have, what, who told you you had to hide? That's back to the garden, right? Who told you to hide? You don't need to hide. You have a father who knows this and loves you regardless. And besides, Jesus took all the shame for sin on the cross. It was, he scorned the shame, but he endured it for the joy set before him. So he took the shame. Son, you don't have to be ashamed. So come out of your hiding and receive the grace. And so I, that's how I disciplined him is calling him out of hiding, calling him out of shame, um, you know, and my youngest daughter Maggie is will lead towards license more than anything. She's a an adventurer. She's a lot like me. Like there's no limits. There's no like just go try everything. Very pioneering. Not afraid of anything. And so, so she she but the great thing is she's a lot like her mom too. Where she'll just I go. Do you want to pray? No. All right. Do you love God? No. And then the next day, yeah, I love God. You know, you're like, who are you? You know, like which one am I dealing with today? And she's really honest, straightforward. You know. But we will also just be like, you know, I'll do whatever I want. And her biggest, she's very sensual, and I mean that in not like a sexual way. I mean like, you know, like when they do Myers-Briggs and you kind of learn your world through sensing, through the five senses, she's that. So she's like, regularly when she cuddles with me, she's like playing with my ear and rubbing my nose and feeling. You know, she's, senses are super huge to her. And so she's extremely expressive. And uh, so what, what I've learned with her is the fear of pain, is one of the greatest things for her. and if I, So therefore, if I use pain as a motivator to get her to obey, I'm actually teaching her to love her senses more than Jesus. And I have to be really careful about how I discipline her because if I use spanking as the primary motivation for my daughter to be a better girl, I'm actually teaching her how to live for her senses instead of to love God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength, even if it doesn't feel good. And I'm. I, sometimes we have to watch that in our parenting that if the primary motive is I want you to av- learn how to avoid pain in order to do good, guess what? When you tell them they have to die to themselves, it's not going to work because you've taught them all their life to avoid pain. So I don't want her to, I don't want to only use fear of pain as a primary motivator. I want to use the love of God as the primary motivator through which she can express herself in love for God. So each kid's different in light of their tendency to to like go after God or go away from God. So By the way, what's important about this is that what I just did with you with my kids is what you need to do with everyone. Because discipleship is just parenting. It's just spiritual parenting. You're just helping people grow up into Christ to become mature people. And so you're always doing parenting. And this is why, in a sense, we should measure the success of our church by how many people could leave home, not by how many people need to stay. So if they need to perpetually stay in your church to continue to be growing, Then they're still children. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, you know, you used to we want the pure milk of the word, but you should be eating meat meat by now. And unfortunately, in a consumer culture, what we've been taught is meat is deeper teaching. That's not what it is. That's still milk. Meat is when you don't need anybody to teach you, but you can teach others, right? That's a, a mother understanding, like those of you who are breastfeeding in this room. You understand you don't give your new baby meat. You might eat meat if you're not a vegetarian. You know, you eat. You, in other words, you eat food. You have to chew, and you chew it so it can go to someone who can't chew yet. And in the church, if people still need everyone to chew up the word up for them every week to deliver it to them like a little baby in the form of milk, then we have a bunch of little immature people in the church still. And so, when someone goes, "Man, I love this church," you know, they just feed me so well. Just hear what they're saying. I'm still a baby. Okay, rather than I just love this church. I've been trained to feed others. Love it. And I still come to to be encouraged. And yeah, there are times I'm still being fed because there's areas of my life that still lack maturity. And so there's parts of me that still need to be fed. But as they grow up, they need less and less and less of that because you've trained them so that they might be able to go and do it. And so when you think about discipleship, by the way, think of parenting, think of discipline, think of training them up in the way they should go that's the language of parenting, right? Proverbs, train them up in the way they should go. It has at the end of it, go. Same with discipleship. It has at the end of it, go. Like where they're training them and we're going, we're going to send them out so they can do it. And uh, my guess is if we're ever going to reach the greater region of the Southern California, we're going to have to train up a lot of people to go, not try to keep everybody and make them stay. So, so that's our desire. So good setup for in the next piece. So what do we train them in? That should be the question we ask. And... Um, Jesus when he makes, says go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit it's interesting that when he gets there remember it says they, they came to the mountain which he directed them and they, some worshipped him but, or they worshipped him but some doubted that's, that's the very beginning of this great commission is who's God around here? Jesus it's very important that we don't miss that because when you're a good Jewish person you do not worship another God You shall have no other gods before you. And yet what do they do? They worship Jesus. So we know they get it. Jesus is God. They're bowing at his feet. They're worshiping Jesus, still doubting. And so we know Jesus is God. And then Jesus gets to tell them what to do. Um, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now that statement, I don't have time to unpack all that it means, but it's really encouraging. Because I mean, there's nobody out there. There's nothing out there. There's no thing out there that we should ever think is is in charge right now over Jesus. He has all authority in heaven and earth. That's seen and unseen. It's not as though Satan's winning the day right now and he's in charge and he's the Lord. Jesus is Lord. And he's under Jesus' authority. He's not equal to. It's not yin-yang. Don't get that one wrong. It's under Jesus' authority. Jesus can tell him what to do anytime he wants. So he is the Lord of all creation. So that's really important because as you think about sending people out to be disciple makers, a lot of people still believe there's power out there bigger than Jesus and they live with a lot of fear. We need to remind them that Jesus is the almighty God. Um, so, So then he says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I just want to walk through these things together because if we follow this process, we should minimally ask who is God? God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit. If God is Father, how do we know God as Father? Through what He's done, okay? So what has He done? He's adopted us. but so how would we know that? How did He adopt us? While we, were, while we were His enemies, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2 says, What were you before? You are children of wrath. By nature, you are children of wrath. And Paul says, and and, and those of us who don't yet believe still are that. You know, he says in, in Ephesians 2. So we were by nature children of wrath, but God, who is rich in mercy. Oh my goodness, good language. Beautiful. He's rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were, what were we? Dead in our trespasses. We were dead. In our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And earlier in chapter one, he says we were adopted. We're children of God. We're dearly loved. So the father sent the son. And what made us dearly loved? Was it anything we did? No, we have the father sending the son. The son perfectly lived, uh, submitted to the father in all things his entire life. He lived the life that good children should live. And none of us do. There's only one good son, and that's Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect, submitted life before God the Father, and then he went to the cross, and the son took the place for us as children of wrath, and at the cross, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God that was against us. And in that, God now no longer is against us, but by faith in Jesus is for us, not just for us like he likes us, for us like he loves us. And Jesus prays in John 17, Father, would you love them with the same love with which you loved me? So it's not just that God loves you, it's that he loves you exactly in the same way he loves Jesus. The exact same way. If your life is in Christ, you're a co-heir with Christ, therefore everything that Christ gets, you get. You get the love of God the Father. You are loved. You are, God loved us, he adopted us. He, his wrath has been satisfied. He's no longer against us. You know, it's amazing good news. And therefore, we are dearly loved children of God. We are the family. We are the family of God. Now let's just stop there and ask, if we believe this, if we really believe that God is our father, he's our daddy, that he's poured out his love in Christ, that we are co-heirs loved exactly in the same way that God the Father loves the Son. No different. If we really believe that. How would we live? What would we do? What's that? We'd adopt. we'd adopt others. Okay, now, certainly we'd probably adopt children, you know, but we would adopt people. You know, this city needs a family. Just don't miss that. They need the family. They need the family of God. What if if you were to look at every single person in the city of San Diego and go, these might be lost children of God who don't know the love of the Father. And the only way they're going to come to know the love of the Father is if they get brought in to a family that's loved by God the Father. And then we love them like brothers and sisters so they can know our Father. And then when we tell them about the love of the Father, they can go like, oh, I get it. That's what you've been doing. Remember John 13, 34-35, after Jesus washes the disciples' feet? says, what I've done, I've set an example that you would do unto others. And then he says, by this all will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another.
1: How do we know you're a disciple?
0: You love one another. That to be what we ask the church. Like, are we operating like a family? Do we love like family? Would this city know the love of the Father? Because the way we love them, like brothers and sisters. I remember uh, my neighbor Nikki, who, when we first moved in, she's a widow who uh, whose husband passed away uh, 15 years prior to us moving in, and she became a recluse and a hoarder. And uh, some of you have seen the video of Nikki, and you've seen it, what we've done. And uh, but a key moment for us with Nikki, because um, she wasn't a believer. Her husband had come to faith before. He died, but she was just angry at God for taking. It was like finally she, she had three men in her life. Her, her dad had let her down, then her second husband had let her down, and then her third husband, or I'm sorry, her first husband had let her down, and then her second husband, who was amazing, but then he died. And so it's like all these men that didn't give her what she had hoped for. And now she's like, that's it. I'm just gonna close off my life and be to myself and control my world. And, and it looked like hoarding and, and becoming a recluse. So we tried to reach out to her and love her. It was unbelievably difficult. In fact, by all accounts, we should have just given up. In fact, we came in a the neighborhood. There were some other Christians in the neighborhood we got to meet. And they said, don't even try. She's a hopeless case. I would go out and cut her lawn regularly. And you know, and the guy next door would go like, yeah, I used to do that too. I'm like, all right. And you just stopped? I mean, like, and you go like, well, we tried. We tried. We tried to invite her to church. She never wanted to come. I'm like, I don't know if that's what she really needed. I don't know that she needed an event. I think she needed a family. And I I can just say story after story after story of how many times she turned on us. I mean, it took us two years of trying to love her. But I remember about year one, one and a half, you you get tired after a while trying to reach out to people who don't want you to reach out to them. But can you imagine if it was your children? Would you go like... You know, what I'm trying to love you. You keep like yelling back at me, forget you. I'm done with you. You wouldn't do that because it's family, right? But when we treat our neighbors and the people in our city as though they're discardable, it's because we don't see them like brothers and sisters. We don't see them like they're our mom or dad. We don't see them like they're our children. We see them like they belong to somebody else and we can just say, forget it. Got no responsibility. But you know what? You've been put where you are for the sake of showing them the Father's heart. Okay, and he didn't give up on you. In fact, he still hasn't given up on you. He should have. Just so we're clear. Should have given up on me. I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible son. I'm a bad boy apart from Jesus. I really am. But because of Jesus, I'm a loved son, dearly loved by the Father. And he doesn't stop. He never gives up. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And so does that affect how we then treat people? And so Janie and I were talking one night, and she came over. And she, Cause Nikki would like run over our garbage cans, like literally they're sitting in our front you know, front of our house. And you know, we, we put our garbage cans out in the streets, and they, the truck come pick them up. So we put them out there. And we're sitting out one day, you know, like on our on the porch, just talking. And all of a sudden, we see her with her van just going, like boom, you know, like there they are, they're on the ground. We're like, come on, are you kidding me? How much do you gotta hate a person to do that? You know, and like it was just like that over and over again. What was she doing? She did not want to be hurt again. She she didn't want to trust anybody. Here there's people that are loving her and pressing her, her life, and she's doing everything she can to just go, like, I'm not gonna get hurt again. So she's just stiff arming us. And if you can see past that, you can be like, we're not gonna stop loving you, no matter how many times you reject us. And I remember Janie came home one night and she's like, That's it. I washed my hands of that woman. She's impossible. There's no way she's ever going to be, become a child of God. I mean, it's just, it's worthless. And in that moment, I, we look back and laugh and go like, that was really the beginning because it was the moment at which we stopped trying to change her I just let God have her. And we started praying. It didn't mean we stopped loving her. In fact, in that moment, I stopped and said, babe, I think that's our problem. We've actually been trying to love her with our love instead of with the Father's love. We've actually been trying to change her with our ability and power instead of just praying that God would change her heart. And we began to pray for her and love her. And I remember the moment when she came over, I was gone, Janie called me, said, Nikki's here, I gotta take her to the hospital. And she had come over and, and was in, she was having terrible problems with her chest pains and, and fast blood pressure and she's afraid to call an ambulance because she didn't want anybody to know that she was in need. Was just so controlling people's opinion of her. And so she came and said, and her van was broken down so she couldn't drive to the hospital. So. She asked Janie if she could drive her and she drove her to the hospital and we sat with her in the hospital room for a week and no one else came. She didn't have a family. We were it. And we just loved her and prayed with her and, and just it, over time at the end of the week she said, man, this was, I just am so grateful for this. What, what you guys gave me and I said, hey, well, you know, do you need your van fixed? And she said, well, yeah. And I said, well, our, our community would love to help you with that. And they would love to pay for your van to get fixed and, so she came back and we started letting her use our van because she still didn't want us to have control of her van. So I go, can I have the keys? Like, well, I'll give them to you later. And that went on for like months, you know, and I, she'd keep going like, well, can I use your van? I'm like, well, I need your keys. Well, they're in the house. And, you know, I, I need to get going. And, and so she was playing this game, you know, so we'd give her our keys and she'd drive our van around for a day or two and she'd bring it back. And so one day I finally said, I'm not giving you the keys until you give me yours. A little trade here, so she gave me the keys. We went and had her van fixed, and she was just afraid to be in need. And see, here's the deal until she experienced the grace of the gospel, not give up on her, until she experienced humility and saying, I need, until she received in her place of need, she wouldn't understand the love of God because the love of God doesn't give you something because you earned it, the love of God gives you something regardless of what you've done, and she needed to experience that. But she was afraid, see, because Grace is, is terribly threatening for most of us because it means we can't take credit. And we all want to take credit. We all want to point to what we've done. When you can't point to anything you've done, it's like, oh, it's scary. And see, here's the deal. I want to give you this. Family learns how to give grace because they can't get away from each other. Eventually, they have to, <laughs> right? And when you treat the city you're in or the neighbors you're around or the church you're a part of like that, then you'll get to experience genuine grace, because you won't even be able to love each other well, apart from God pouring it into you. It will have to be a gift he gives you. Okay, so you're a family. And I'll, I'll tell you more about Nikki, I think, this afternoon, but um, minimally, I'll just tell you this. It led to her becoming a part of our family. She was eating meals with us regularly. She, and she, she's just, uh, was just like, we knew her story. We cared for her. She sees our kids like her grandkids, and she's got family all over the place now. Um, but it, it was because we started looking at the, the church differently. So when we get to who the church is, Do you think of your church as a family? Do you think of you as a family for the city that doesn't know the love of the Father? For your neighbors who haven't experienced the love of the Father? What do you think would change if you believe that? What would change in your church? If you said, this is the primary identity of what it means to be God's people is that we're children of God, dearly loved as a family. What would be done differently if you actually believed that? What do you think? Yeah, we'd be together more often. More inclusive. Yeah, not so exclusive. Yeah, we're bringing people in because we understand the Father's heart is to bring people into the family. Our hearts, our hearts would change, yeah. Now we'd have to get back here in order for our hearts to change, right? We'd have to know the love of the Father through the Son who is sent and died for us in our place so that we can understand we're dearly loved. If we don't get back to that, we won't actually get this. And that's that's why, by the way, it's so important to keep rehearsing what God has done for us in Christ so that we don't forget that we're dearly loved children. We, We at our church said, you know, one of the things that it would change is even how we operate in certain things. Like, let's not have business meetings, let's have family meetings. You know, let's, I remember even when we were talking about as our church was growing and we were adding more paid vocational leadership that could be freed up from another job and serve more in equipping the church. And one of the things we ask is, well, how much do we pay people? And, and what would be the typical answer to that question? What do they do with okay, based upon what they're worth or so what they how do, they what, how they negotiate? Yeah, in their in their contract, it's like the draft or something, you know. Um, but we use, you know, it's like years of ministry experience, seniority, education. You know, it's all those things. Well, that's not a family. I mean, can you can imagine what I did it with my kids. You know, all right, son, love to get you some new shoes and some new clothes and make sure you're fed well, but you just don't carry your weight around here. You know, what, you're younger, wait till you get older, I'll give you more. You know, prove yourself. You know, I mean, it's not how you do it, right? You would say you'd go, what do my kids need? And then I give in accordance to what they need. You know, I mean, like, like, for instance, I spend less on me these days than I do on my kids. Kids cost a lot of money, by the way. You know, so like we spend more on them on a weekly basis than we do on my wife and I. Well, if I went by the, the business model, I'd go like, no, but where's the seniors in the house? They shouldn't get much. I should get it. I'm older. I earned this. It's my money. You know, like, like, no, 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 no. What are the needs? And so we decided to be a need-based uh, pay What does your family need? So that what happens is as as we get older and our kids are out of the home, I probably should make less money than those who have more kids than me because their needs are gonna be greater than me. See, now I'm not saying you all have to do that. I'm just saying if you really buy into this identity as a church, it will change so many things that you do. But so much of what we've done has not been informed by our new identity in Christ, but rather by the world. Pay attention to how many of the world's practices have snuck. Into your view of what church is and what it does. Okay? Okay, that's that one. Let's move to the next one. Son. We've been baptized in the name of the Son. So if you've been baptized in the name of the Son, who is the Son in Matthew's gospel? He's the King. He's Lord. He's King. So you think about and this is the beauty. How does how does Jesus come as a king? So different than all the other kings, right? What do all the other kings do? And they come in, they're like, okay, let's see, if I want to have a kingdom, i got to have some land. So in order to get some land, I'm going to go need to take somebody's land from them. Okay? And in order to take land from them, I'm going to need a, an army. So I'm going to need to get an army that can go take some land. And But in order to get an army, I'm going to need some money. So I need to pay them. In order to get money, I need to have some wise people around me to convince a bunch of rich people that I got something going on. So I got to find some wise sages who can convince rich people that we got something going on so we can get an army to go and take land. Okay, And then once we get the land, we're going to need a bunch of servants and slaves to run this place so we'll capture the people and we'll put them under our service and now we'll have a kingdom. What does Jesus do? I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. What does he say? I have land. I have a place I'm going to prepare for you. He isn't, he isn't land poor. He's land rich. Well, in fact, he says, Blessed are the poor for they will inherit the earth. Wow! I got a whole globe I get to give you. Amazing. you know. And he, and he doesn't just come in and say, I'm going to give you the earth. He goes, The battle is going to be one that I will fight to my death. And I will put to death the evil one, so that you might be set free I've come to set the captives free. It's not just that I don't need anybody to pay for it. I am rich, but I will become poor so that in my poverty, you will become rich. And I'm not just going to do that. I'm going to come in for the the, the broken and by my wounds, you will be healed. And I don't need any wise sages. I'm the wisdom of God. Come to take fools and make them wise. See, you don't have anything that I need. I have everything you need and I will give it to you freely. This is the kind of kingdom that I want to bring to the earth. It's amazing. I mean, is that not good news to your ears? Like, that's good news. He's going to do it all so that you and I get it all. You're inheritors and you did nothing, 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 nothing for it. So when Jesus says, Set an example for you. Do as I've done. I did not come to serve. Be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. We realize that because He served us, the King served us. We now are His servants. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is one of His famous discussions about His kingdom and what will happen in the end? He he says, you know, one of the ways that you know you're part of this is that you know that I did this. You you understand what I'm like, you and it'll show up by what you do. Remember this? Remember he talks about the the sheep and the goats? Remember that? He says, There's gonna come a time when they're gonna divide them up like sheep sheep and goat, and and I'll say to them, you know, when I was when I was naked you didn't clothe me, when I was in prison you didn't visit me, when I was hungry you didn't feed me, and they'll say, When did we see you? Naked or hungry or in prison. Whatever you did not do to the least of these, you did not do unto me. Depart from me. I never knew you. And we, 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 then we hear the other, and we, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And, you, 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 and they say, when do we know that? When do we see you that way? He says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you did unto me. Enter into my Father's kingdom. And he, he says, the whole point is, you didn't know me. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did unto me. You didn't know me. Now, don't miss it. Jesus is not saying do good and you'll get in. Don't do good and you won't get in. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you knew me, then you would do it. But you don't know me. Keep in mind the no that I talked about earlier. If you were intimately acquainted with me being your servant king, then you would serve as servants. You would do unto the least of these what I've done unto you. See? Don't miss it. You and I are the least of these. We were naked and he clothed us with his righteousness. We were in prison, and he went to the cross, and he got bound to it so that we might go free. We were hungry, and he fed us his very life. He's the bread of life that gives life to the world. He did it for us so that we might be able to do it unto others. And if we don't do it unto others, it's because we don't know it has been done unto us. Please don't miss this whether it has to do with the love of the Father or the service of the Son. The love of the Father, you know, First John says, you don't know God if you're not loving one another. You don't know him. Now, please don't hear it, because we, we in our Western think, thought think, so you're going to hell when you die. That's not what he's necessarily saying. So we tend to make it all about what happens after we die instead of what's happening now. In fact, many of us think of the kingdom of God as a future reality, not a present one but it's a present one with a future conclusion. His kingdom started when he showed up. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And they say, well, where is it? We can't see. He says, no, it's within you. Why? Because the kingdom of God is wherever Christ is ruling or reigning. And he starts with your heart. And so a lot of us even hear like, you know, well, am I, gonna do, am I gonna get eternal life? The question would be, do you have eternal life? Not am I gonna get it. It's a present day situation. Eternal life is a new kind of life that lasts forever. It starts now. And eternal life is about kingdom life, which means Christ is ruling and reigning and bringing his kingdom into your life. You're seeing him as the king. You're a servant. That's the kingdom, see? It's not something that's just future. It's also present today. It's not complete. Some of you are going like, well, how come it's the world so messed up? Because many of us are still living as though we worship a wrong king. His kingdom will be completed when he returns and he'll make it finished. But he's in the process of expanding his kingdom through his church. Did you follow me on this? This is super important because if you go, well, yeah, I know God the Father loves me, but I don't love people, then we should back up and go, wait a minute. Maybe you don't know the Father loves you. Yeah, I've been with people before and they'll go, yeah, I believe God loves me. And they go, well, tell me about, you know, like, your neighbors. Oh, they're jerks. Man, they I can tell you a hundred reasons why no one should love them. You know, they're, they're mean, they're, they, they I mean, we try. They reject. They make our name bad. They talk about us behind their back. You know, you on and on. You go and you go. Hold on. Wait a minute. That sounds like what you did to God. You rejected Him. You didn't treat Him well. You are a terrible representation of Him half the time. And you know, we could keep going, right? Every single thing that you have a reason for why you don't love someone else are all the reasons why God shouldn't have loved you. You know, you go like, yeah, but I'm good. I'm better. No, you're not you righteousness, righteous as filthy rags in comparison to Jesus Christ. You're not. You are loved because he loves messed up people. You know, and so, well, a lot of us have a sense of entitlement. We think, I was loved because I was good. And therefore, I only love people who are good. Or I love people who pay me back. Or I love people who treat me well when I do it. It's a misunderstanding of the love of God in your heart as expressed through your life. It's what it is. When you realize you were the jerk, you were the enemy, you were not paying him back, you weren't entitled, and he loved you regardless, then you go, gosh, Lord God, would you pour your love into my heart so that I might love like you loved? Same with service. You're like, church, who are we? We're the servants of Jesus Christ, sent into the world so that we might serve the least of these. Okay? Why? Now, let's be clear. We are not going to change the world. By ourselves. Jesus is going to finish it when he comes. That's my belief, at least. I don't believe that we will just do it. I believe he has to get back. But here's what we are we are the, fo- the foretaste of the future reality of the kingdom of God ruling and reigning in all things. So everywhere we go, we get to show what the kingdom of God should look like breaking into the world right now. You guys ever seen the, the movie uh, Back to the Future? Remember that time? It's, a, it's like, I think it's the second movie where Doc comes back and he's like, Orly, Marty, your kids. You know, and they're a mess. We got it back in to show you. And so he takes them to the future to show us how messed up his kids are so he'll go back into the present and parent them differently. Right? Jesus is the first fruit of the new creation. Do you know what resurrection means? It's not life after death. So I brought up, growing up in the church, like, okay, when I die, I go to heaven. That's resurrection. That's not resurrection. There's already been one resurrection, that's Jesus. He got a new body for the new earth. There'll be a final resurrection when Jesus returns and the dead in Christ will be raised first and be given a new body and we also will become like him. That's resurrection. Resurrection is new body for a new earth. Okay? It's, it's new creation that will last forever. And so many of us have been taught the goal is to get out of the body and get to heaven. The goal of scripture is to get a body and come back to earth. That's where it all ends. Read Revelation. The, the, the beautiful bride adorned for her husband comes down to earth, doesn't get out of earth. They come back to earth. It's beautiful. That's the church. It's us. It's a beautiful bride brought to Jesus and we're gonna enjoy him forever on a new earth. And so that should tell us something. If Jesus is the first fruit of a new creation, just like Doc who comes back from the future, Jesus is going, by his spirit, send into our hearts, which is the real Christ made known in us in our life. He's going, the future's amazing. No more tears, no more suffering, no more sin, no more death, no more brokenness in relationship. Everyone's been fed, everyone's healed, everyone is taken care of. We're all together and it's perfect and it's amazing. And he's making that known to our hearts today and going, I'm bringing the future into the present through my church so the church becomes an expression of what the future's gonna be like every time they do what I would have done unto them. Do you see what that means? He's like, he's going, give them a taste of the future reality so long for it. So they'll say, come, Lord Jesus, come. See, here's the deal. I grew up thinking, Jesus, don't come. I haven't gotten married yet. I don't have sex. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if you were that. When you're, you're like, come after we have sex. That would be great. <laughs> Little did I know it was going to take years for me to actually finally enjoy, you know, intimacy with my wife. But, but I didn't know. I was an idiot, you know. And even then, you know, like, some of was are like, well, wait till I have kids or whatever it is. But you're, you're longing for your own kingdom more than you're longing for his. It's because you haven't meditated on how great the kingdom of God is. And unfortunately, the church has not said, what would it look like if the kingdom broke in to us, through us, to the world? What would that look like? Man, people would be fed. The naked would be clothed. Relationships would be restored. People would be one. There would be healing. There would be power. There would be the presence of God. Man, who doesn't want that? It's amazing. And see, the church is the, the foretaste of the future reality. We're the signposts pointing to the future saying, look, it's gonna only get better. But come in and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. And how are they supposed to taste and see? They're supposed to taste and see through his body who feeds them. You think about a movie trailer. You guys ever gone to the movies? You go a little ahead of time and you watch the trailers and you're like, man, that's gonna be amazing. That movie, I can't wait to see it. And then you go watch the movie and you're like, Shoot, should have just watched the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) And the goal of the trailer is to make you want to see the movie. Church, that's who we are. We are the trailer to the kingdom of God, fully realized, and people should want it. What would it look like if the church said, we are the servants showing the kingdom of God breaking into our world? We're a family who loves one another, so they know the love of the Father, and then they get served like the Son served us. And that's huge. Is the church known for that? It's who we are. This isn't what we do. This is who we are. We're servants of the king. It's whereby he shows the kingdom to be coming to this earth through his people. It's beautiful. Man, I, Lord Jesus, help us. Help us. I've got one more thing and then I'll, I'll turn it over to the guys that have some things to share. Um, we're baptized in the name of the spirit. Um, is it okay that I keep going or should I take a break? I feel like I need to end. If I can do that. Can I? Okay. Um, and I'll try to do this, it won't take too long. But So, wh- what, is, what is the Spirit's r- role here in all this? What did the Spirit do with Jesus? Remember, that's how we know what God, God is Spirit. How do we know God is Spirit in the life of Jesus? What does He do? I want you to rehearse it with me. What does the Spirit do in the life of Jesus? Start all the way at the beginning. Transformation. Okay, so, first of all, we've got Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Okay, now let's do that to us. What he's done? What does the Spirit do to us? Gives us regeneration, new birth. So he makes us children of God. And so it's the Spirit that tells us we're his children. What else does he do? We have to fast forward quite a bit now. We have to go to about 30 years ahead. Yeah, Luke 3. He's baptized. Yeah, he descends on him. The Father, what does the Father say? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Paul says in Romans 8, it's the Spirit in your life that tells you that you're dearly loved by God. You get the same thing. Okay, then what, what happens? Jesus gets sent out by the Spirit. Chapter four. He's full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit into what? The wilderness to be tempted by the devil. How does Jesus overcome temptation? The Word and the Spirit. Get it. We got to make sure this is clear. I, I was just reading through uh, Psalm one nineteen this morning, and and just remembering again, like Thy Word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against You. Now. Key. It says that I might not. It doesn't say, thy word, have my my heart. thy word have I hid in my heart. I will not sin against you. It says that I might not. Well, what's he saying? If I know what you're like and I know what you do, then I won't want to sin. That's why I do it. But what we do know is that you cannot overcome sin apart from the Spirit. Paul says in, in chapter 7 of Romans, the, the flesh is hostile to God. It cannot even please God. The only way that you can overcome sin and please God is by the power of the Spirit. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot obey God and please God apart from the Spirit. You cannot. Please hear this. We have such a small view of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like, well, oh, yeah, well, I got saved. I was regenerated by the Holy Spirit. He gave me a new new heart. Some of you don't even believe you got a new heart, unfortunately, but you need to believe that because the Scriptures are clear. It says you did. So you have a new person. You're a new person. You're a new creation. You actually want to do the good. That's Romans 7. The very things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I know I ought not to do, I don't do. I find myself doing. What's wrong with me? And he talks about, not. Nah, it's me. It's this body of sin. It's my flesh. Kind of put it to death. But the only way you do it is by the Spirit. So how does Jesus overcome temptation? It's not just quoting Scripture, because the evil one was quoting Scripture. He did it by the power of the Spirit and the Word. You need the Word and the Spirit. You cannot do this without the Word and the Spirit. And I, 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 I'm convinced more and more. We baptize people mainly in the name of the Son these days. Maybe the Father. I'm not so sure we're establishing them in the Spirit. So, baptize in the Spirit. The Father loves me. Okay, Sent by the power of the Spirit. I can overcome sin and temptation with the Spirit's power. What happens next? Jesus shows up in the synagogue in His hometown, and He goes and opens the Scripture. He does, he's often did this. It says, he, as was His custom. He shows up on the synagogue on the Sabbath and then he opens the scriptures and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. You know, the, uh, the spirit has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's anointed me for, to preach the good news to the captives that they're gonna be set free. There's an anointing Jesus receives. Don't miss that. And then later it says that they were amazed at his gracious words and they said to themselves, isn't this Joseph's son? Now don't miss it. They're going, we watched this kid grow up. 30 years, he came to the synagogue every Sabbath. What happened to him? How in the world is he preaching like this? With such grace. By the way, grace is God's favor, God's presence, God's power. Don't just think grace is, by grace you've been saved and you think of it mainly as a gift like God's not counting your sins against you. It is that, but grace is—is is God giving you Himself? God giving you power that's from Him. God enabling you to do what you could not have done apart from your with your own strength, apart from Him. That's what it is. So here, there's going. Jesus has got some kind of grace. Well, what is that grace? It's the Spirit's anointing. And so He's preaching, and He's preaching with power and authority. Something's changed with this guy. Same Jesus, thirty years. Now something is different. He's not changed, but he has the anointing of the Holy Spirit to empower him to preach. See, a lot of us go, man, well, Jesus can preach so well because he's Jesus. Bad Bible. Come on now. Read your Bible. Jesus preached so well because he had the power of the Holy Spirit. And what do you see with the early church? When the Spirit comes on them and and, and they they, they get the anointing, they get the power of God at Pentecost, what happens? They preach. They preach. It says every one of them proclaimed the mighty deeds of God. And they did it in languages people could understand. There's this supernatural inbreaking breaking by the Spirit. And people go, what's going on? Men and women, old, young, they're all doing it. The whole church is supernaturally being empowered by the Spirit of God to proclaim. And you know, some of us go like, man, I wish I could preach the gospel better. I just don't have it. You, if you have the Holy Spirit, you can preach it just like Jesus did. Okay? And some of you guys are going, no, I don't think so. It's because you think you've got the junior Holy Spirit. Seriously, see, you're going like, you know, Jesus got the big Holy Spirit. We got the little Holy Spirit, you know? That's what we think. And I know some of you right now are going like, I know that's what I think. I don't think I got the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. I don't think I got the same Spirit that empowered Jesus to preach, that enabled him to heal the sick, to cast out the demons. And that's what happens in the rest of Luke. And what's Luke doing? Luke has written two books. They're really supposed to be read together Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. And they're supposed to be read as as two versions, two two parallel stories of the Spirit of God, what he does when he comes on his people. First we see it on Jesus, then we see it on the church. And it's no wonder that Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, but wait, wait for power. And then the whole of the Acts account is you seeing God do through his people, Jesus doing through his church, by the power of the Spirit, the very same things he did through Jesus. It's the same. It is parallel. Don't miss it. It's super important that you get this because many of us think God does not work like that anymore. Well, then, good luck. How in the world is the mission going to get accomplished if the very means by which the mission gets accomplished, which is the Spirit, is done? We might as well just go home. Stop being in the church. If you don't have the Spirit of God empowering you and sending you, we got no hope. But He is. He is. He was sent... The Spirit sent the Son, and then Jesus and John 20 says, As the Father sent me, so I send you. And then he breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit, so that we might be Spirit-empowered missionaries who lived as kingdom, kingdom representatives of our King, loving people like the Father loved us, so that the world sees something entirely different than they've ever known in their life. And then they go, God must surely be among you. And then we get to proclaim how he became amongst us. Because the only reason you get the spirit in your life is because he purified you through the Son, And then he made you his children. And he adopted you and said, these are my kids. The beauty of this is now, not only are we sent to love people like family, serve the least of these as servants of our king, but we're also sent to be ambassadors who tell the story of Jesus and his great love for us. We're witnesses to him. So we love, we serve, we proclaim That's who we we are. We are family, servants, missionaries who love, serve, and proclaim the good news of Jesus with the power of the Spirit so that people get to see the power of God breaking in through his people. Okay, we're gonna walk through, how do we put all this together? Some of you are going like, what about missional communities? (laughs) And that's what we're gonna talk about all afternoon because hopefully what you're starting to see, and this is the question I want you to think about even over lunch, can you presently as the church exists live out and be faithful to these identities. Uh, could you say our church loves like family, loves the lost like they could be the lost children of God. Our church is showing the kingdom of God breaking into the world with hands and feet and real tangible evidence of him, Jesus being our king. And, we're, and we have power to proclaim the good news of Jesus with authority that our, our, our words are accompanied with work, powerful work of the spirit in our lives. And is our church ordered so that can happen and so that every member can be a part of that. That's the stuff I want you to think about over lunch. Because you're going to hear me at least say, I think that we need to rethink some things we've done in the church so that we can be better at calling people to live out their identity in all of life. Okay, let me pray for us. and I think Nick's going to come share a little bit about what we're doing. Is that right? Father, hopefully this morning has only led us to greater worship. That's, that's my hope that we wouldn't uh, just go, oh, this is interesting, but we'd rather go, wow, you're amazing. You are awesome. You are worthy. You are so good. We give you our praise and our thanks for the love that you've poured out into our hearts by your spirit because of Jesus. He's our king. Jesus, be king, be Lord, be head of your church. You are, but we want to submit to you as such. And Father, we want to know you as dearly loved children, Spirit, you must make that happen in our hearts. Help us, in Jesus' name.